Hello, and welcome to your weekly episode of House of Decline. Uh, it plugs now at the beginning, because we want money! Give us money! Patreon.com slash House of Decline. Bonus comics! Bonus episodes! Oh my god, give us money! We need your money! And uh, on this week's episode, we have, as always, uh, Steven. What a painful ad read. Um, boy. I gotta say, people right will out- really want to give us money after that. That's my that was my thoughts behind it. <laughs> I'm doing it next week. Absolutely, Hi, everyone. <laughs> and special guest today we have uh, Elijah Cran, returning uh, guest. I just want to give another pitch. Give House of Decline money. You heard how dumb he sounded <laughs> in the original promo. So he really they they. I got I, I got to ride coattails, man. <laughs> we need it. We need it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I was uh, I was just frothing at the mouth there. It was actually foam was coming out of my mouth. Yeah. Well, you get daily comics. So that's yeah. what's cool about it. You can't get yeah. them anywhere else. You get can't daily get them anywhere else. House of Decline comics with some really raunchy, crazy, wacky, funny stuff. I mean, hypothetically, you could subscribe once and get all the comics on a drive and start a pirate website, and we would have no wherewithal to sue you. Yeah, we wouldn't also get any money because the way we have it set up is that we charge on the first of the month. So you could just subscribe, get everything, and then unsubscribe and never pay us anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. These are See, this is meta-Patreon. We're doing some meta-Patreon stuff right now. And uh, in that vein, you know, we're, we're going to be talking today about another meta, meta-type show that has been in the discourse lately. It's been in the zeitgeist, and that is, of course, Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal. Uh, a lot of people are watching this show. It's a very I- inventive show. It's very funny. I like it a lot. It's raising a lot of questions, raising a lot of moral questions about performance, exploitation of people, uh, the effect of the camera on somebody. You know, what are these philosophical elements that compose Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal? And that's what we're going to that's what we're going to try and discuss yeah. uh, for some of the episode. And then it will veer off into meandering bullshit, as it usually does. Well, the funny thing about the rehearsal is that and the reception to it is that it's very much either Nathan Fielder is evil. Yeah. Or Nathan Fielder is a genius. Mm-hmm. Or Nathan Fielder, this he's like the Lenny Riefenstahl of Comedy Central <laughs> yeah, HBO. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is doing what if the Nazis had won, this is yeah. the kind of TV they would be watching. Yeah, they would have uh, a confounding Jewish man would have or, been the Nazis preferred. Or maybe he's the most brilliant auteur of this generation. Yeah. Which one is it? We're going to get to the bottom. We're going to get to the bottom. Which one is it? Uh, Does it lie in between? No. It can be one of those two extremes. He can be your angle or you devil. Anyone. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Very nice. Yes. That's a classic bit. A classic internet bit that everybody loves when you revive those. Uh, So... The rehearsal, uh, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't watched it, uh, the premise is that Nathan Fielder is doing rehearsals for people in real life. People have some sort of problem and they come to him and he reenacts a a situation in their life where they would have to overcome this problem uh, through meticulous sets and hiring actors in order to role play uh, this person going through a particular problem. In the first episode, it's a man who's afraid to uh, who's afraid to tell his friend that he's been lying about having a master's degree, and so he role plays that, and they build an exact replica of the bar that he plays bar trivia with this friend in, in order to uh, overcome this rehearsal. So very extreme, extreme uh, reactions to mild social awkwardness. Is this funny? Projecting this mild social awkwardness onto a bigger level. I mean, it, it extends into larger ideas, like in the second episode uh, through to the fourth episode, which is about uh, a woman reenacting raising a child from one to 16, sort of like Billy Madison style in two weeks. <laughs> um, That's funny. Yeah. It should have been Adam Sandler. It should have been Adam Sandler. That would have made the playing, show much better. Playing the baby. There's still two more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, 
I guess what I take away from it, the the discourse that it has the, uh, has erupted, is is this exploitative? Is this exploitative? Are we taking advantage of you know mentally ill people, people desperate to be on camera, and you know allowing uh, people to gawk at them in order to uh, get our jollies? Uh, people that sort of lack a self-awareness, it seems, and as such are going to react interestingly when provoked to do so on camera. Is this is this something that is uh, pertinent? So, uh, th- uh, gentlemen, thoughts? Thoughts on this idea? Is the rehearsal and maybe Nathan For You's previous show, Nathan For You, exploitative? The, re- the rehearsal has the most positive portrayals of autistic people that I've ever seen. Interesting. I would expand expand on that. Uh, basically, there's nothing. I, I want to preface this by saying the only media I've seen about autistic people is Brain Man <laughs> in the Christian documentary. <laughs> the, the, both not good examples. <laughs> both terrible representations. But it's like, I mean, the first the first episode has the most like sympathetic people, you know, like to like he wants to get the secret and it he ends up it works out for him. They're like the rehearsal itself didn't actually really help, but he ends mm-hmm. up being able to confess and everything goes great. Mm-hmm. And they come off like pretty good. Like they're awkward, they're weird, but should just weird people not like be on TV because some people might make fun of them. Yeah. I, Should they I, be ashamed? Great. In fact, uh, I think it's Grace Feud. I forget her name. Uh, that comic on Twitter. Freud, yeah. Was talking about how, like, should people just be ashamed of, like, being who they are? Yeah. Is the, is the is part of the criticism inherent to these? Oh, these people are weird. Are we exploiting them? As the well, maybe you're projecting that. Maybe you think you're exploiting them, but what really is is just exposing people being. And it's not like we're mocking them. It's weird. It's it. I think. I think it's not as if we're mocking them. It's just that oh, people sure are interesting. Even the the most normal people on earth have these incredibly rich, intricate inner lives. You know that we're not privy to. But once you put this intense focus on them, all of those weird little details about these normal people sort of come out. And you said um, portrayal of autistic people. Do you is do you think Korskeet in the in the episode and and do you think he's like a little neurodivergent or? <laughs> I mean, I can't say for sure, but. Like... <laughs> We're, know, we're doing. We're off. we're gonna we're gonna out some people as, as ND on this episode. That's what we're doing now. Did your we're did doing... your rain did your rain dar go off? Yeah, my rain. <laughs> no. What well, every, I mean, every time I see another autistic person in the wild, I just hear the Thomas the Tank Engine theme like in the back of my head without even a real. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Sorry. Um. But that, I think that is something that I've heard about Nathan for you is that uh, they people jokingly say that Nathan Fielder is autistic or has this sort of um, uh, people say he's like if uh, if the theater director were I, I don't know what I'm saying, but people have a applied an autistic worldview to the show. Do you think that holds water? Do you think there is something about the sort of a way to get around emotional relationships with other humans that does represent that, or do you think that's not necessarily a good, a good reading of it? I mean, I think the character comes off like kind of neurodivergent or whatever, like, but it's, it's a character. That's not how Nathan, he said in interviews that he's playing like a character, but in some ways it's like a younger version of himself. Mm -hmm. Like, so I could guess like maybe he was a lot more like, the guy on Nathan Fuger, the rehearsal when he was like in high school. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I see like the way of like just wanting to go through and like know what other people are like thinking so you can know their reaction or whatever because you're not good at just social stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I relate to that a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, but that's the thing is like it's interesting 
to project autism onto because I think that's a universal feeling, right? Everybody has that thing where they would want to perfectly prepare for, or maybe, maybe I'm, I'm like, there are people who are, because you meet these people who are, uh, what do they call them? Uh, uh, extroverts, extrovert. Those, those, those people that don't seem to have this structure that don't seem to worry about people's thoughts about themselves because the, there is an inherent idea that everything will be resolved in their favor socially. But I think this feeling is universal. Even those people must feel must feel like, uh, oh, my God, social situations can sometimes be so awkward as to be unbearable and uh, ruinous to my life. Or, you know, I think that's what's interesting about, like, the first episode is um, is Core keeps projecting this horribly uh, eruptive episode. Uh, that's the thing that he fears most. And in reenacting it, he's able to reenact that fear and experience it. And whether that's good for him, I don't know. I don't know. Is sort of a question that is left to the audience because at what once it does help him overcome his behavior, but at, at the other, it's sort of like indulging his worst instincts about humanity as well. So I think it plays with that as well. I feel like the rehearsal, at least like in the first episode, like it didn't, like it just gave him the courage. Like he was like, oh, this, like going through it so many times. But if he had never done one on the show and just told her, it would have worked out good anyway. Like it's, <laughs> you know, 99% of the time when you have like social anxiety about something like that, it's usually not going to be nearly as big of a deal. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting because it's like, in a way, in order to get around you know, your fear, an inherent fear of intimacy or inherent fear of, you know, conflict sometimes, you, you end up thinking about relationships in a way that are manipulative. And, you know, the lesson at the end of the first episode is core feels rejected and, you know, used for being manipulated by Nathan but in doing so has adopted that sort of manipulative attitude. There is that sense of um, uh, like you, you can, you can do something such that you can bend people to your will when really all, all he had to do and what he, uh, what he did was just be honest and uh, vulnerable, which I think is the show comes down on that says, Ultimately, that is the best way to be with other people and to approach social. It is the show is a condemnation, a recurring condemnation of the whole rehearsal process to begin with. Um, I think I think it portrays itself. Yeah, that way. it's they like hammers the point home in each ep successive episode that like no matter how well you control all the rehearsal stuff, it still doesn't like you can't you know, control, like Nathan talks about in the fourth episode about how, or the third episode about how he's totally leaving emotion out of the equation. Like every, no matter what he plans, like it's just, it still doesn't go right. Like you can't mm -hmm. actually control people. And that's what I think the Brody uh, review misses a lot mm -hmm. is that the show is not about, oh, Nathan's a devious mastermind who's so smug and self-satisfied they can control everything it's that he thinks he can but he can't yeah it's a person who is but i think the nathan character too is like he's not a mastermind he is somebody desperate for connection that is that is the character he's not he's not a scheming like he'd be a scheming mastermind if the thing he wanted was gold or you know power but the thing ultimately that he wants is just a real human connection you know yeah. that's that's the gag in Nathan for you too when he's doing the he, like there's rehearsal gags in Nathan for you where he's rehearsing for a play in one of the thing and and a, like a, a pretty lady actress he hires says I love you to him and he keeps saying say it again say it again <laughs> say it and yeah and so I think he comes at it that which makes the character more of more of an innocent than than this sort of like devilish when, manipulator figure. That moment is when people started not liking him. I'm pretty sure yeah. <laughs> because it was seen as misogynistic. I think or they something were, like, or like, don't you besmirching the honor of a pretty lady? Nah, <laughs> she doesn't love you. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> she loves me. If anyone, she might love me. You know? I'm so like Joe Para. <laughs> <laughs> um, if there, so so um, Nathan for you, I think is interesting because Nathan for you is quite a bit meaner than the rehearsal, I would say, um, because it's all about how people will sort of prostrate themselves for for money, um, but at the same time, like it does take advantage of maybe I'd take advantage as harsh, but it does use the desperation of small business owners in order to coerce them into doing these stupid uh, brainless stunts. Yeah, but that's like an acceptable. That's generally, in, at least in our crowd, that's an acceptable. Yeah, small, but fuck small business owners. It's small okay. Bus- yeah. Small business tyrants. They're tyrants. small business tyrants. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think uh, I think there is something there. I mean, people sign releases and stuff like that. But the rehearsal is sort of a, like a commentary on that too. It's about the process of of making a television show as much as it is about. Uh, the stuff that goes on in there. So there's that, there's that behind the scenes meta commentary where the behind the scenes footage is the show, while the show is also simultaneously occurring, which is interesting. Um, this so this Richard Brody guy. Do you know anything about him? Richard Brody. He's some sort of uh, New Yorker film critic. Well, so in in his article or whatever, or in his tweet about the article, he says that Nathan Fielder is brilliant mm-hmm. and. And that he's an in, he's ingenious, and that he's like evil. <laughs> it's like that's the only conclusion I can come to, is that he's he's calling him vain. It's an exercise in vanity. He's, I guess so, but this get, is just pranks. You know, this is pranks. He's doing pranks, but he's doing like meta pranks. But at the end of the day, they're still just pranks. He didn't invent this shit. Is like candid camera. Are you going to accuse candid camera? I guess, you know, candid camera might have been mani- <laughs> manipulative. Mm. Is Eric Andre manipulative? Arguably, I guess. Would you go that far? Jamie Kennedy. Jamie yep. Kennedy. Some of those studs can be fucking crazy. <laughs> um, I would say, I don't know. Uh, do you think uh, one which would be easy to say goes too far is do you remember Ari Shafir's old Amazing Racist bits? I think I've heard of that. Where I've heard Ari, of them. I've never, never been not, a fan of that guy. He's a, he is, Ari Shafir is a, horrible, is a horrible dude. I think there's some part of me that um, likes him because of how fucking terrible he is. Like the second after Kobe died... He was like, Kobe was a rapist. He was a rapist. I'm glad he's he, like fucking horrible. Yeah, <laughs> like, and he's, his life is in danger, I think. Uh, Ari Shafir's life That's is in danger. That's what I heard. That's what That's I heard. <laughs> That's I heard. Well, yeah. I, he would do these bits in like early YouTube, uh, The Amazing Racist, where he would be a, he would dress up as a, like a clan member and harass a black guy. And that was it. That was the joke or something. Or wow. he'd like early YouTube, early YouTube, mm. a gold rush, a gold rush of wonderful racist content. But the joke is that he was like provoking people, and like pranks are fun. I think pranks are fun if like I think it's funner to make someone think that you died than it is to you know say some <laughs> say some just racist shit to them and see them react poorly. I think that's. Uh, I saw. Did you see Matt Brunig taking an L the other day? Yeah, that, that I didn't was see rough. The, the tweet he made, but I saw the. I didn't see it. What happened? Uh, it, 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 I mean, it's not that bad. You know, people clown his wife, say a lot meaner shit to his wife, yeah. which is, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have an opinion on that. But Matt Brunet, this one I have an opinion on because he was trying to troll, but it was a bad troll. It was no good. It was not a good because it was provoking the wrong type of response. Uh, and his tweet was just uh, Bill Russell. Uh, he commented, I didn't see that Bill Russell had died, but he's a guy, he wouldn't make it on a squad today. You know, that was the tweet saying that, you know, 70s ball, I guess, was different than today's uh-huh. ball or okay. something like that. And people got really mad because it's like, what do you hope to accomplish by that? Because the thing about Bill Russell, especially what was being shared is he was, one, universally beloved. He was, by all accounts, like this incredibly nice and kind yeah, you see, person. You, you, can, you can never make it as a guy that's nice that's also a team player these days. Yeah. You have to be like a flashy, <laughs> shitty douchebag who's bad at sports to be good at sports. There you go. 
You that's know? what you get. Yeah, you can't be a nice guy who's good at sports anymore to be good at sports. Yeah, that's that's an official House of Decline sports take. We are sports guys, <laughs> um, sports guys like Matt Bruning. But also, you know, the the other issue with Bill Russell is another part of his commemoration is he overcomes significant racism by just being a black guy in Boston. They would just, yeah, fuck you. We're painting the N-word on your house. Yeah, Boston. Boston strong. Uh, and uh, so that element to it made that, like, yeah, maybe not the best target for the trolling. You know, maybe not the best target to try and make people upset with. Because who are you? Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I had nothing. Uh, you got to, you gotta, you know, just, like, charge the game. You know, if you're going to try to make a trolling attempt, like, sometimes they backfire, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not like, did Matt Brunner get fired or anything? Like, oh, from people's policy him. project, his own thing. He should fire himself <laughs> from his own project. He deleted his tweets again. He did a thing where he deletes they all the tweets They auto-delete. They both yeah. auto, they have something set up to auto-delete it. It's, yeah, they've had it that way for like years and years. Yeah, I use my. I go back. I I put important shit in my tweets that I like. I like make. I do little reminder notes sometimes because no one <laughs> fucking reads my shit. So I'm like reminder to change the AC back. <laughs> That's how everyone should just use Twitter uh, as as a set of boxes to check. Uh, every every fifty tweets, another line of the manifesto. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I think, well, have you ever seriously attempted to write a manifesto? Who's this new guy that you're doing? Uh, this is this is Hank Hill. This is oh. communist. Have you ever attempted to write a manifesto, Bobby? <laughs> Damn it, Bobby. This is communist. What if King of the Hill was socialist? The secret socialism of King of the Hill. I'm not, I'm not doing it right. Uh... Uh, there is that. There's lots of communist Luann accounts because of that one episode where Lu- Luann said she was a communist. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard, but the Communist Party of Canada is currently going through a sex pest problem. <laughs> yes, I did hear. Um, friend of the show, uh, Jeremy Appel. Yeah, you get a friend of the show, Jeremy Appel, reporting on the sex pest problem, the yeah, unaddressed go. sex pest problem. Here's the thing with DSA. There's a lot of sex pests in DSA, but they do their best to root them out. You've got a lot of people in DSA who are doing the sicko hunters within the DSA. Have I told you about my idea of the DSA all all sex pest chapter? Ooh. <laughs> we just Sounds round them up and put them into one chapter. And then if someone, you know, goes out of line, they show up in front of their, their, their store or place of business and just hang out there. I mean... I mean, um, like, DSA's got enough problems as it is, I think, you know? Without the sex pest chapter, you're saying? Yeah, adding a whole chapter of problematic sex pests. But that's the thing. They'll only be, they'll all be grooming each other. And it will be... (laughs) Does that make it better? (laughs) Yeah. You know for a fact that it just makes the drama even worse. It's true. It's true. I Yeah, I think... uh, I think at the next meeting they'll put the kibosh on the all sex pest chapter. Oh, you're going to the meetings? I'm going to the I'm going to the Canadian DSA meetings, the Canadian Democratic Socialist of America. There's just meetings. one for all of Canada. Yeah, yeah. It's in Toronto. It's me. <laughs> I I am the Canadian DSA. Uh, uh, and I am sec- I am grooming myself. I am the sex pest. And I, I shouldn't make fun. There's a lot of good DSA people, a lot of good listeners. But it's a problem, and it's a, every organization has that. Because when you have that rah, 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 we're doing good, we're doing something, someone will take advantage of that fervor in order to uh, get somebody in a vulnerable position. Now, is this another example of the left eating itself? <laughs> <laughs> this Communist Party of Canada sex pest, is this another example? Um, I no. I mean, if the Communist Party had any serious power, maybe. Uh, but they're they're also rans. They don't. They they haven't done anything since the thirties. Um, Elijah, uh, how's the um, Communist Party of Tennessee? I don't. Uh, I'm a member of the Revolutionary Communist Party. There you go. Okay. Uh, Bob. Uh, the Griff doesn't work. I don't even remember his name. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> well, we I'm, a de- I'm a Democrat. I'm a, You're I'm a Democrat. A... You're a registered Democrat. Yeah, you should be a registered, registered... commie Democrat. <laughs> you should start the commie Democrats. 
Um, yeah, we need uh, we need uh, what is it? How many new parties should we get? Two, two or yeah. three? I think an entirely new three party system with three brand new parties. <laughs> what should they be? Uh, the jerks, the libtards, the libtards. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the libtards, um, the soy cucks, the soy cucks. Are those like the centrists? Maybe no. I yeah. guess yeah. And, and uh, then, uh, the cuckservatives. 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 That's what they say. I love. We used it against them. We're using the weapons again. I I saw such a funny <laughs> meme. Um, the uh, during the whole Anna Mardal controversy, which we might address. We could get into. I think oh, it's, it, it's been since last episode. We could talk about the rehearsal vis-a-vis Anna Mardal. But I saw a thing, uh, a meme of. Uh, someone breaking a, a, a bow over their leg and it was labeled Kiwi Farms and it's like, we do not use the weapon of the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> and it got a lot of likes. It was getting a lot of likes. Uh, which is, you know, very people are very dramatic, which is what I love about uh, this online world where nothing matters. You have to elevate it so that everything matters. I mean, it's 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 kind of a similar situation to the Hunter laptop thing, but they didn't get what they wanted, which was they probably wanted Twitter to like suppress the people who were saying that she worked for Lockheed Martin because because it was um sorry he worked he, for Lockheed Martin. I get thrown off by the name. Um, yeah, that he worked because um you know it was obtained that the method of obtaining that information was suspect. Yeah, wasn't it just on LinkedIn or something? I don't know. I don't know how the method was the method of obtaining the information, but uh, yeah, it was a, a open source intelligence, which means <laughs> googling it. Yeah, I have no idea. I'm not weighing into this as a, I did the one comic about uh, working for Raytheon, and I had uh, Animart all defenders in my tweets. Very disappointed in you. <laughs> oh yeah, they were so disappointed in you. They dude. were very disappointed. Um, which On is this fine. episode of the rehearsal, Anna Mardal has been hiding something for ten years. <laughs> she wants to con- he wants to confess that yeah. he's been without, working without at alienating Martin. <laughs> without alienating fifty six thousand followers. How can he best do this confession? That we set up rules. a copy of Twitter. <laughs> And hired hundreds of thousands of actors yeah. to reply to his tweets. <laughs> They're gonna say such clever stuff as "You're working for the the War Crimes Factory." People are gonna use War Crimes Factory a lot. Hell, I'll use that. Um, <laughs> it's making me think of a person who kind of gets a little paranoid after watching the rehearsal, and whenever there's an awkward situation starts like yelling is this a rehearsal it, just in real life like when i'm at costco <laughs> being stalked by nathan fielder yeah. <laughs> just yeah a bunch of something awful goons but they all have nathan fielder's face uh uh in, well the blending of fantasy and reality that's something uh that's something that's at uh apparent thing in this world and talking about it, you you mentioned uh chris chan earlier and that that stuff is going on but i don't like to touch on that subject because it is it is unsavory to me i i do believe chris chan was gang stalked into into being being uh, uh doing doing some compromising things i don't think she would have done that if she didn't if, if she wasn't well, subject one, to all that abuse 100 percent. like kiwi farms is full of like Nazis that are like almost as autistic as Chris Chan, but they like got like thousands of Discord logs of like this this girl in Texas who was basically trying to get Chris to kill herself, mm-hmm. like talking in secret to Chris and like almost like the theory is that she she's the one that recorded the call mm-hmm. of Chris admitting to it. So the theory is she pushed Chris into it. Yeah. It's weird because it's like this fucking it's like these everyday people are using these FBI CIA tactics in order to coax these sort of uh, impressionable people into doing something they wouldn't otherwise do. It's this strange type of cop behavior 
where it focuses on on those who are different in a way that you don't accept. But um, I, I, I mean, I'm it's it's a deep source of shame for me too because I joined in on the gawking, you know, in the early internet. Here, here's somebody that's worse than me. Good, I feel good about myself. I don't have a Sonichu medallion, so I am better. I don't, I don't uh, do stuff where, and because that's you know the the story of Chris Chan too is somebody is that is desperate for connection, that never receives connection, only receives it in in a way that's essentially negative. They're let down by pretty much every person in their life, like from the day they were born. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I guess it seems weird now to talk about this subject with a sort of reverence, but it really is, I think, one of the, uh, the uh, one of the darkest chapters of Internet history that you shouldn't you shouldn't find it as so funny anymore. You, you might want to explore it as like a source of like a cautionary tale or something like that. But even, you know, consuming it that way is. Yeah, we talk about exploitation, you know, we this is a collective exploitation that you uh, some of us were definitely me that I feel partially responsible for um, just by, you know, taking it in, not as not as like uh, uh, seeing the essential humanity of this person, but uh, uh, as as a source of laughter, as the proverbial lol cow, as as some sort of chattel, which I think is how uh, a lot of people are treated. And I think you know that's what? what the rehearsal makes fun of, you know, is the treating people like chattel sort of thing. I got an idea, I think, you know, you know how they just introduced the new phone number for when you want to kill yourself? Yeah. I think it's 998. It could be something different. Yeah. <laughs> Don't dial that. Look it up. First. <laughs> Look it up, yeah. There should be a phone number for when things are getting a little out of control online. <laughs> and you need to call someone who can help you make things you know get back under control mm -hmm. that might be pretty useful uh, social service absolutely uh the we need an olivia pope the scandal olivia pope scandal for for ordinary folks i i had did you ever watch scandal no no it's one of the funniest shows ever if you haven't been if you haven't been acquainted with the shondaverse uh, it's these extreme histrionic plots. In the first episode, you find Olivia Pope. She's the head of the best goddamn PR firm in Washington, and her ex-boyfriend is the president. And, and, and it, it spins out. If you've never seen Scandal, watch Scandal. It's so good. Um, but yeah, I always imagine like Olivia Pope doing her super PR stuff. For ordinary folks, this is my greatest PR challenge of all time, is Anna Mardal. I'm going to make him look so good. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna spin this. Oh, that Anna, let's just talk about the Anna Mardal. We already broached the subject, and I, yes, it's bad to harp on, but it's such a funny, it was so fucking funny, because you work at, like, everybody has blood on their hands, right? You know, there is no ethical consumption in capitalism. Your money is going to some war machine somewhere yeah. where people are dying. If, if you work at the suicide hotline, you will probably convince an oil executive not to kill himself. There you go. How do you reconcile that? How do you... <laughs> oh, so it's good when oil executives don't <laughs> kill themselves? Um, do you love the environment? Do you love it or not? Um... But yeah, that the contrast of also it's not just you work at the the war crimes factory at like the hilariously the worst company you could possibly work for <laughs> in the world. <laughs> like um it's not just that it's that your your brand for a while is being this person who is like um I don't think that's very good of you and I what I don't want to do is I don't want to accuse this person of like sicking their followers at people because I think that's what started getting uh, a lot of traction is, oh, this person is directly responsible for Isabel Fall, um, which if you don't know that story, that by the way, uh, Isabel Fall was this uh, trans author. She wrote a book. Uh, she wrote a short story, I should say, called I Identify as an Attack Helicopter, which is reappropriating the bigoted phrase into a 
sort of uh, futuristic sci-fi body horror short about uh, trans identity being co-opted by the military. And this short story was seen as uh, problematic by a sector of online writers, and uh, they really went hard on it, and uh, it caused Isabel Fall to have some issues, and to, there were a bunch of articles about it. You can read it. Uh, so Anna Martell was seen as being this group of writers that harassed I'm trying to be neutral about it, but harassed is the word, essentially. Anna Martell was sort of in this group of ultra PC writers who were like, no, this is this is too far. This has gone too far. And so to be this part of this group of ultra PC people, but also work at the Warcraft it's so good it's so funny it's such an amazing wonderful human hypocrisy I mean that's ultimately I relate to him because this is like something I would do or this is like a Larry David moment or something I can't believe like the, the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme didn't start playing yeah oh I think God. another issue is they were like always like asking for like pretending to be broke all the time and asking yes. for donations and like constantly from their, their, you know, a lot of their followers that gave money talking about how hurt they were. Cause they were actually really like on the verge of homelessness and yeah. like where you're making, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's well, it's that grifting thing. It's that uh, I say grift. I don't. I say these words. These words are very charged. I don't want to. I'm far enough away from this issue where I shouldn't really care about it. I only care about the comedy aspect of it, of the contrast between hectoring people and then you yourself doing a very bad thing, um, but like a passively bad thing that's accepted yeah. by mainstream She's society. Like procuring software yeah. for some uh, like non-bombing type related there's a lot of things you can do yeah, for Lockheed I, Martin I, that are not you know everyone online is like well, what about the jan what if she was a janitor uh, <laughs> what, what, what if the, the janitor's there do you hate the janitor I was like, like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he sucks. I love that. I love if the janitor was hectoring people about PC culture, maybe I would hate the janitor. Dude, no, I don't, I don't ever hate the janitor, okay? Yeah, <laughs> so, there you go. Sorry. I hate the janitor at Auschwitz. Sure, I'll hate the janitor. Fuck that guy. Um, oh, you know, it's me, Happy Hans, the janitor at Auschwitz. Oh, you know. You Okay, yeah, go to, the, go to Auschwitz again. That's, I'll go that's, to Auschwitz again. My... My grandpa uh, died in World War II. Uh, he uh, he was a janitor at Auschwitz. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm off my game. I'm sorry. You're off your game. You're off your janitor game today. Well, it's because we're talking about heavy subjects. Yeah. He was, a, well, was he a janitor at Auschwitz that fell out of a guard tower? I mean, that was my, my too spicy for Twitter joke was, hey, don't make fun of Anna Mardal. He became uh, disabled when he fell out of a guard tower. Uh, oh. <laughs> I think we just yeah, might bleep why. that out. Bleep that one out. Make a note in this <laughs> to bleep that one out. Why? It's not that uh, kind of show. Yeah, it's not that kind of show. I don't want to beat up on this person because they've already received enough hatred for maybe maybe outsized amount of hatred. Definitely so outsized amount of things. So then the the people who are who don't like this are saying you guys are everyone is uh, not you guys, but everyone is um, yet again beating up on a trans person. Yeah, which sort of seems incidental, but that's just because yeah. I I didn't know about this person until this started happening. I'd never. There's a lot of people on Twitter you just never run across. I just yeah. never ran across them. So consider yourself lucky. Yeah, I try, to, I try to curate my Twitter to be drama free. Absolutely, only only beers and barbecues. And well, not beers. Well, mostly it's people being like doing iterations of the joke. I'm gay and my dick is small. There you go. <laughs> That's a classic one. Yeah, a classic joke if there ever was. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, obviously this. Uh, 
This other thing about Animato makes me think about the rehearsal because are we are we gawking at somebody? Because you got to be some sort of like mentally ill to be addicted to Twitter that much to begin with, right? There has to be some sort of like serotonin deficiency or you're not getting enough out of like your real life or Twitter has caused a mental illness for you to be. Because uh, it definitely it definitely incentivizes combativeness and, uh, you know, wanting to get one over on people. But um, I think... Uh, I think maybe it's the idea of you're holding yourself out to be some sort of moral paragon. There was the idea about this person, but maybe it wasn't. Once again, I'm speculating on something I know nothing about. It's the rehearsal. It's the rehearsal. We're just, uh, <laughs> there's all of this meta context to how we take in somebody's online or performance persona that, that changes the essential humanity of a person. Um, which is, uh, you know, it, it's like that old thing. It's like that old thing in physics. You know about physics, right? No. To enlighten me, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know about how, like, a, a, a particle, when it's observed, it behaves differently, right? All, all I know is that the internet wants me to know about this baby that looks like Woody Harrelson, and I don't... <laughs> that fuck. baby really looks like Woody Harrelson! <laughs> Why the fuck does it want me to know about this so badly? Um, it does like kind of. Okay, it does kind of. <laughs> that baby's life is now. That baby will be known as the Woody Harrelson baby. It's a girl. Its life will be. Her life will be. Uh, her trajectory will be forever changed. Well, it's, yeah. Sorry, it's a girl for now. There you go. I mean, is that is that the same like thing we've been talking about? Like putting someone odd in the spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess because there's no medic. Like what Nathan is doing is he is like a character who's telling you that uh, I, th this is an this person is a, a an objectively strange person. Like whether they're neurodivergent or whether there is some element to them that can be said as mentally they're they are somebody that fundamentally doesn't understand human relationships is the character and um almost like uh, data on star trek or something like that so they have to you know figure out ways to get around this issue um and i think that is like uh that's something that reproduces itself on social media where you're doing this sort of mock version of human relationships you're doing this staged version of what it's like to have friends. You know, even with what we're doing with a podcast now, this is a staged version of what it is like to have friends. And we are, of course, behaving different. Because you know about podcast voice, right? I talk like this all the time. Yeah, well, you, it's different. I go into podcast. Hey, it was me, podcast <laughs> mode. Ah, I'm a big podcast guy, big podcast dick. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. It's I, 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 am, I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway uh i don't know what what did you elijah what did do you have any strong opinions on the animardal on the lefer animardal i mean they just seem i mean they're obviously like some type they have some type of a mental illness or personality disorder thing like mm -hmm. you know i mean everyone on twitter you know most people like the attention but like you're if you're grifting, constantly lying to people, apparently, you know, I don't want to read his mind, but, you know, constantly sending, you know, your followers after people, you know, the layer of plausible deniability, because all that's how all big accounts, no one says go harass this person, mm -hmm. like, but they do it so much, so many times, like, and then even in their, their tweet thread, where they said they were leaving Twitter said they didn't have anything to do with the harassment against Isabel fall. Like mm -hmm. it's just still not addressing the Lockheed Martin stuff really at all, but yeah. just throwing in another like lie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, should you make fun of someone like, I mean, like Donald Trump is Donald Trump is like, seems to be pathologically narcissistic and stuff too. He can't help it you know, anymore is like no one would say, I mean, I don't think 
it's such a tricky subject because I. I like making jokes about. I have like a mean streak. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, well, I think in a way too, it can be patronizing if you're like if you're treating people with because I'm a person with a mental illness. I have strong depression and suicidal ideation. But when someone treats me with kid gloves, because I, I think I, I also made a post like I tried to make a wholesome post recently. I, I said I love my autistic fans. I love it when they don't get jokes sometimes and ask me for uh, context, and I think that's fun. I think that's great. And but some autistic people were like, "Yeah, this is a little condescending." And I was like, "Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, it's fair." I mean, it's, it's condescending, but it's like not everyone like not every autistic person like is. This, I mean, forty percent autistic people can't even like are practically nonverbal. Yeah, like there's there's levels, and I think I guess it'll feel. I mean, you can't help like making some people feel condescending to even it, unless you're like hyper hyper specific which i'm not even saying is like a bad thing to try to strive for but mm-hmm. like your 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 tweet was perfectly reasonable but yeah like lots of autistic people have trouble like understanding the context of stuff and will even say like i mean like you said we'll ask you like you have they will say themselves mm-hmm do you personally experience like do people do you think sometimes people condescend to you? Mm, no, I don't really feel like it that much. I mean, I have like pretty thick skin anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get annoyed when people like kind of almost like self condescend, like the like you know all those ADHD like neurodivert like or yeah. just a list of like you know like can't do like this and this and like just common things like everyone kind of struggles with sometimes yeah like just kind of annoys me but i mean when you start defining yourself by the by that as opposed to you know maybe more I, i i would rather be known by sort of a personality trait like i'm wacky or funny or you know i have i'm morally serious or you know something than than sort of an immutable category, you know? Jolly. Yeah. You're jolly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, those immutable categories do define our lives, and should we not embrace them as well? Should we not embrace them as well? I guess um, people should just do what works best, you know, Yeah. for them. Um, one thing I would... My, my main takeaway from, like, the, the, the scandal... Yeah. Was um, this was the perfect time to find a new job? The past like two years, so. <laughs> <laughs> like everywhere has been hiring. So yeah. I don't know. Well, you like your you you pride your comfort over uh, maybe other moral considerations, which I can't judge because I do that every day. Of course, I. Of course, I pride my own comfort over yeah. the uh, uh, safety eat, of people a million miles away. You eat, you eat Korean food every single day. Every know? single day. It's like at least, you know, be like honest about it or open. Don't like constantly lie and be self. you know, that's what I think a lot of people have. A, I mean, everyone lies sometimes, but just mm-hmm. keeping it up for years and years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems like seems like it wears on the soul a bit. Seems well, like I just for it, your own sake, you know, it would be easier if you could be open about this. But I guess, I mean, with that, it's like for some people, it doesn't. Lying doesn't like, again, if you're like, if you're like a psychopath or whatever, it's social personality disorder, like lying won't, you know, be like anything to you. And it's like, well, can you even blame someone like that? Because they're not, yeah. not like, it's not their fault they like ended up that way. Like, Animard all like might be mentally messed up and make you know that makes him lie and be you mm-hmm. know spite like have all these like negative antisocial personality traits mm-hmm. but like they probably just had i mean not to give them a pass but he probably had like a fucked up childhood in some way because yeah. that's where most of those issues spring from mm-hmm. absolutely yeah i think there's just the we have this imagined idea of a person who's like this just because they suck 
Um, when, you know, every instinct that you have is like a socially conscious person, as a leftist even, is to think, okay, there is a material reason for why a person is doing this, for like uh, why a person wants to portray themselves this way. And it's, you know, because they weren't grifting like a ton of money from their fans. I don't I don't I don't even know what to say about that. But uh, uh, I think the other thing you mentioned earlier Elijah in Nathan. Nathan says he's playing like a high school version of himself. It's interesting that you see a lot of this um, uh, self-infantilization, I think, is the word that's being thrown around, which I don't want to confuse with like, because that could easily get confused with uh, 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 trans and gay people are groomers, you know. No, but the self-infantilization, I say, is not about like literally like turning yourself into a child. It's about not having to take responsibility for anything because you're fundamentally not an adult. You're like, I see, and this isn't like limited to like left people or uwu people. Everybody does this now. Everybody is trying to sort of like shirk the idea of adult responsibility or uh, cognizance because they're essentially a child. Do you know those, those weird comics by George Alexopoulos, those right-wing comics that where he's like kids are traumatized by... Uh, critical race theory. So, does he do the really like stylized? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he'll have it. He'll grope women a lot in those that, ones. Yeah, that guy's. <laughs> those that, those. Uh, yeah, he's those fucking insane. Weird. Yeah, because well, he's weird because he's <laughs> very skilled. So he is able to fully act out his derangement on the page. So it's rarely – that combination of skill and arrangement produces some very interesting artwork. Uh, but one of his uh, one of his big ones is that a child – a big-eyed child goes to school on the, uh, the first day of school and uh, the teachers are saying, you're bad for being white. You're bad. They're, they're like pointing at him and saying, you have to pay for your ancestor. And, you know, the child is like looks sad and burnt out by the end of his day at school. And but that is so easy to read psychologically because it's like you're the kid. You're the kid in that. You're the you. That's how you think of yourself. You think like you don't have to you don't have to take any sort of social responsibility for these problems because you are fundamentally an innocent. And I think it is um, the desire to portray yourself as an innocent, which is sort of. Uh, that, that, that you get into some weird territory there because, uh, you know, uh, that means if you're if truly an innocent, you don't have to take responsibility for this, you know, much in the same way that Nathan is sort of like an innocent. He doesn't have to take responsibility for his actions because he is this sort of otherworldly, uh, character who is the product of, uh, a mediated relationship with people. I don't know. Uh... What do you think about, like, so when you were younger, did you, like, did you identify more by your identity categories or was it, like, a source of embarrassment uh, for you, Elijah? Uh, Like, much more a source of embarrassment. Uh, I mean, I didn't even get, like, diagnosed uh, with Asperger's when I was, like, 16 or 17 Mm-hmm. And then I was like kind of in denial for a long time. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not autistic. Even though like, I didn't have like a negative perception. I didn't have like a negative, like, Oh, autistic people. I mean, they're like, Oh, they're socially awkward or whatever. I didn't have like, mm-hmm. I didn't like hate up, but it was just like, I was just like, no, I'm not autistic. I'm just, uh, I'm bad at socializing. I have these, these issues for like other reasons. <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I was definitely a lot more like, ashamed i guess about or in denial about it um do you think like uh it's because you see like 16 year olds now who like are very like open and sort of proud about it and who do take like a who define their character somewhat by it would you have liked to do that or is it like something that you don't even like uh brought up as part of your character i mean i think just like i don't have any problem telling people i'm autistic now like Mm -hmm. Like, I'll even tell them for, like, certain situations or bring it up first just to let people know, like, in but I think just making it, like, just the, 
it feels like kind of cringe to make it like so sensual to your personality. Yeah. But like, I'm not inside their heads. Like maybe it is a lot more sensual to their, like, I didn't even know I was autistic for Mm -hmm. growing up. So like, it's not like, of course, you know, it might not be like as sensual to my personality. Like, There's something I noticed like with gay people when I was coming out of gay, um, where, uh, especially when you first come out, you are very quick to be gay and make everything about gay and, you know, define yourself as being gay because there is that sense of sort of, I think it's sort of like a different feeling too, because there is this culture around gayness that has been built up as like once, once you're out, you're free, baby. You know, they've, (laughs) they've done a lot in the culture to like make that a moment of catharsis for gay people. Whereas, like, I don't know if an autism diagnosis represents that same moment of catharsis uh, <laughs> for autistic people. Maybe a lot be. of a lot of people that uh, get diagnosed later in life talk about how, like, it's finally it's like kind of things like kind of came together. Like, oh, this is this explains like they've been wondering kind of what's wrong with them or why they don't fight, and it's like it was really like a big relief. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the issue you know i think no i think knowing what's i mean not that being gay is anything you know wrong but knowing what's wrong with you is like whether it's mental illness or whatever is like i feel like it's a a big first step Mm -hmm. and like taking steps to fix it or mitigate it or like be able to work around it Mm -hmm. i yeah so there is that there is the similar moment of catharsis then i would say where like knowing your identity is good and it's good for you personally, but projecting it in this sort of extroverted way where it, it sort of because, you know, there is no emotional quality to being gay or in gay or artistic inherently there. So it's weird to define yourself by that because it's not really a descriptor. It's something you are, but it's not like a personality trait. Yeah. Which is autism is almost more just like i mean people a lot of people in the autistic community talk about oh it's not a limitation it's not like but it like it is like being autistic is kind of unless you you're lucky enough to be like a savant which or whatever which very small like it's usually more about stuff you can't do you know you're worse at reading social cues facial expressions you're worse at dealing with you know sensitive uh, light sensitivity or sound like it's and it's obviously a spectrum but mm-hmm. i don't know i just personally think define yourself like that it's cringe you know it's just a little cringe <laughs> it's just a little cringe it's just know? a little cringe and people are allowed to be cringe yeah. and if anything people being cringe you know like i'm not in high school anymore so i'm not i don't i don't like I don't want to make fun. I'm not going to make fun of someone to their face generally for being cringe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go up to your like, you know, but it is like being like, Oh, you know, you laugh at, you know, you just laugh at yourself, you know, make jokes <laughs> yeah. about it with your friends. Like so much of comedy is, I mean, the office, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone, the most normie, you know, you're laughing at Michael Scott, you know, he's saying cringe things. He's saying yeah. like, it is uh, inherently the social awkwardness that makes up. I mean, it's interesting you say The Office because I think that marks like a, a, a sea change in like sitcoms where, I mean, it was definitely influenced by uh, British comedy, which thrived off of more of that. But usually like in sitcoms prior, it sort of um, uh, uh, cheers would rely on like sort of a fluidity of social relationships between the characters. Whereas everything in the office is everybody, much in the same way that the character of Nathan is, they're they're all desperate for relationships, but they're blocked in some way by the milieu that they're in. I mean, the office eventually becomes super cheery, and it's like, no, it's because of the office that they're associating. Um, and it sort of loses its own message. But um, I... Uh, and then the office becomes sentient. <laughs> then the, they should have the sentient offices the, where it's just the floor plan for the office with little legs and arms. And... It'd be cool if they could talk to the, the office, the character of the office in the office. My favorite character in the office would have to be the office itself. It's, it's, and... it's, who would it be voiced by H. John Benjamin, of course. There you go. 
Hey, look at me. I'm the office. Brendan, <laughs> Are you Brendan. guys familiar with George George Jetson works at the office? George Jetson? No, what is George Jetson works at the office? All right, it's it's uh, it's there's a guy nephew Tom. I don't even know if he has a Twitter account anymore, but he it was similar to Marijuana Simpsons. If you remember, I'm sorry if I'm derailing. <laughs> no, no, Marijuana <laughs> Simpsons. Is, what is Marijuana <laughs> Simpsons? What are all these things? <laughs> Marijuana Simpsons was an account that just tweeted tweet by tweet it started like maybe 2013 or 14 yeah and it lasted for like a year or two and it tweet by tweet like a whole like in dialogue like basically like dialogue tweets of the simpsons but they smoked weed and it was this long like <laughs> thousands of tweets it was, it was funny but it was like a very dark story with like lots of like just incredibly bleak like it wasn't like oh the, the simpsons smoking like smoking weed how wacky yeah and it got, into, jesson, it got to a weird place you said yeah george jesson works at the office was uh by this guy nephew time uh who had his account like i guess hacked mm. and i just started a new one after the george jesson office and i think you know v runt runt yeah i know runt yeah he he did some of those tweets too uh i think they were friends but it's very i hope it's archived somewhere but they're good. So what was the premise of George Jetson works at the office? George Jetson from the Jetson works at the office. Of from, course. Uh, the office. That's the premise. Where and did it go? Weird, yeah. One weird, weird, very weird places. Um, you see that a lot with, uh, that, uh, you know, power up comics official. Yes. Uh, yeah, it started as this parody of gaming comics, but it's this intricate, endless story that, references itself constantly like it has like this homestuck level of scope in terms of uh, devoting itself to this the and these like terrible these intentionally ugly looking clip art characters very funny i yeah i like that when um when something at first appears to be uh some wacky zany joke but then reveals an inner darkness. I did something like that recently with the Ocean's 200 thing where it's like a zany joke, but then it gets dark at the end. Yeah, but that's revealed, like you reveal your inner darkness. I love when you reveal your inner darkness. It's my inner darkness. <laughs> no, but that's like that's a gag that like people were comparing it, I think, aptly to Too Many Cooks, which has that same gag where they're listing a bunch of people and then it goes dark or like uh, uh, th yeah, that's a common bit where it's like the shallowness of our need to project zaniness onto something inherently reveals an inner darkness. Moral. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the rehearsal, right? You know, the fact that we interpret it as a comedy even can be seen as when it's really uh, these people uh, living lives and being manipulated and fucked with in strange ways. You know, the fact that we interpret it as as funny and not as something you know, strange uh, and maybe not necessary. That's that's the thing the show is constantly playing with as well, is, you know, whether it even needs to exist at all. Well, my final verdict on the rehearsal is it gets a B-plus from me. It's a fine show. It's perfect for the whole family to enjoy. Um, and we are just about out of time. So what are, what are our final thoughts? Uh, my final thought, A+. Plus. I love the rehearsal. I think it's genius. I think Nathan Fielder is a golden god. I go I go the one way. Okay. He's a shiny golden god. Yeah, A+. Plus. One of my favorite, like, things I've ever seen. I guess only limited by it's just going to be six episodes, but incredibly impressed. Blown away more and more each episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say the one joke when Robin started arguing with his roommate, I I was not able to stop laughing for for yeah. ten minutes. Well, okay, let, can, let me tell you the part that I laughed at the hardest. Um, yeah, was the same was Robin yeah. when Nathan asked him if he uses condoms, and he goes <laughs> he goes not really, and uh, the way he said not really made me laugh for five minutes straight yeah yeah he's a very one of the best characters that they uncovered was it exploited if maybe who knows it was i laughed though so what can i say 
one more thing before we go. Uh, something you said we were talking about before the show, Pink Floyd. Uh, yeah. I just want you to uh, think, I want you to have this in your head. Uh, every copy of every Pink Floyd thing gets destroyed. 500 years from now, the only media related of it is Nostalgia Critics Review. Uh, the wall. <laughs> oh. Uh, are you saying this to upset me? What are you doing? What are you doing right now? Why do you Why do you want to hurt me? Why do you want to hurt me like this? Um, nostalgia. I mean, Nostalgia Critics review of the wall. There are reviews. There are like now tons of reviews of Nostalgia Critics review of the wall. It is a It is an insane piece of art in itself. Uh, which you know we would talk about if that were not already talked about by a very good podcast called Get Cynical, which you should listen to. Uh, where they review the nostalgia critic. Uh, but uh, Elijah, thank you for being on, talking uh, frankly with us about these interesting topics. Uh, do you have any plugs? Uh, just follow my Twitter, at Elijah Cron. No other plugs right now. <laughs> Hell yeah, we'll put it in the show description. Uh, the rehearsal, A+, plus. put it in your brain. Nathan Fielder, Nathan for you is good. Have a great day. Bye.